welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. Well, it's been a very busy couple weeks on the front line since we last spoke. The inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and some of their early actions seem very positive with a strong focus on the environment and proactively addressing the many crises uh, facing our nation, including climate change and COVID. Meanwhile, here in Maine, the legislature is starting to swing into gear and there's been some significant news regarding the controversial CMP corridor. So we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Communications Director, and I'm here again with our Advocacy Director, Pete Didesheim, to dig into it all. Pete, first of all, I have to wish you a happy birthday. Oh, yeah, thank uh, you. I guess <laughs> it, it happens to everybody, yeah. Right, right, right. I got you an administration that believes in science for your birthday. How's that? Hey, thank you. I really appreciate yeah. it. It's just what I was asking for. All right. Well, um, we're kicking off uh, every episode with the same question. So uh, from your perspective, what were some of the most important developments for Maine's environment uh, over the past two weeks? Well, certainly the inauguration of a new president and new vice president was extremely important for the state of Maine. Um, and particularly within hours of the inauguration, President Biden signed an executive order. And the title of it says it all, protecting public health and the environment and restoring science to tackle the climate, climate crisis. And that action represents, I gotta say, more forward motion on climate and environmental protection in one day that we've seen in the last four years. During the previous administration, as I think everybody recognizes, it was always and only about rollbacks of our environmental laws. It was only about weakening the safety net for our clean air, clean water, our land, our climate. And it was only about weakening our environmental agencies and giveaways to the fossil fuel industry. And all of that is bad for Maine. We have no fossil fuels. We have an urgent interest in reducing the amount of pollution that blows our way from upwind power plants. And we'll have a better future the quicker we transition to clean energy. So that's why the executive orders that were signed last week and this week by the president, while they're just the beginning, they're important steps in the right direction to reverse more than 100 rollbacks of our environmental laws. So we're pretty excited about the incoming administration, the team he's put to, into place, and these initial first steps to, to move back in a positive direction. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's super exciting. And as you said, these uh, executive orders are really important first steps, but they're just that, they're first steps. And um, you know, a lot of damage was done. And so uh, arguably a lot more is going to be needed to be done to rebuild the nation's environmental laws and agencies. Yeah, uh, this, is, that? this is just the beginning. I mean, it's only, <laughs> it's only been a week 
uh, and and some of the damage that was done to the agencies and to our environmental laws will not be easily reversed through executive orders. It'll probably take two years or longer to reverse some of the climate change rollbacks, including rollbacks of rules on industrial emissions of toxics, including mercury and the waters of the US rule that was rolled back. So there are some cases where the, the previous administration um, replaced good, strong uh, regulations uh, with weaker regulations and the incoming administration is going to have to go through the regulatory process and replace those weak rules this time around, probably with stronger ones than the ones that they replaced. So it's going to take some time. It's also going to take some time to restore uh, the health of some of the key agencies that were uh, damaged so severely by the previous administration. EPA has been significantly damaged, not just by the loss of, of top personnel and, and attacks on, on just the foundation of science, um, but also just the demoralization that occurred with all of these professionals who, who have pursued their, their career of working to protect the environment, uh, receiving just such a, a daily assault on the on the purpose of the EPA. So that's why we're particularly heartened that Maine Congresswoman Shelley Pingree has just been selected to chair a powerful appropriations subcommittee that has jurisdiction over the EPA, the Department of Interior, and a number of other key agencies. She's been a champion for environmental protection, and she can help restore funding for programs that really are vital for Maine. Our Department of Environmental Protection receives critical funding from the EPA for water quality, for air quality, for a whole range of, of programs, including cleaning up brownfields and advancing businesses in areas uh, where there's brownfields that have been cleaned up. So <clears throat> we're excited about, uh, about working with uh, our congressional delegation and, and particularly uh, Chairwoman Pingree, uh, who's, who's gonna be one of the cardinals of the House Appropriations Committee. Woohoo, yeah, it's great to see her in that role. She's been such a, well, she is such a strong voice on climate environment, like you said, and it's going to be, I think it's just going to be fascinating to track the pace of action on the federal um, level, and especially as Pred, uh, Biden's cabinet nominees get confirmed and get to work, as you said, I think one of the most exciting things that I see about Biden's plan, the Biden-Harris plan is, is their goal of really integrating climate into every level of federal government, even, you know, national security conversations. And this is uh, something, a climate leader that we're really familiar with, former EPA administrator Gina McCarthy has been charged with. Um, I'm excited about, well, there's a lot of great nominees, but she's, her role of sort of embedding climate into everything in federal government is, is, is really exciting. And she, she's going to bring, as, as anybody who's seen her speak or worked with her knows, bring really great energy and enthusiasm uh, to that role. Yeah, she's she's brilliant. She's experienced. She's funny. She's tough. Uh, the president's putting into place um, a, a, a team of climate and science experts, the likes of which we've never seen uh, in a U.S. administration. And he has created a new White House National Climate Task Force to ensure that uh, this administration's ambitious climate measures are enacted. 
and it really is the largest assemblage of administration officials committed to action on climate in US history. And to have Gina McCarthy um, tasked with that and uh, John Kerry also involved in the, in the international negotiations and diplomacy that's so critical and Jennifer Granholm at the Department of Energy and New Mexico representative Deb Holland, uh, first Native American to be uh, uh, awarded with a and selected with a cabinet post at the Department of Interior. It's it's going to be a um, obviously a challenge, uh, mm -hmm. but it's it, it's quite exciting and and it doesn't come a day too soon. I mean, we have a lot of work to do ahead of us uh, on climate. We're behind the the curve on this, and we need the best and the brightest to help move us as fast as possible to get to the clean energy uh, future that's so critical. Yeah, it's, it's such an exciting team. And, you know, it's also heartening to see a really strong focus on and recognition of the public health impacts and benefits related to climate change, as well as the necessity of addressing environmental justice. So centering your work on equity and justice. So that's super exciting. Well, let's shift gears to policymaking on the state level. Um, just last Friday, the Environmental Priorities Coalition, as a coalition NRCM is involved uh, with of, of public health environmental organizations, announced a common agenda of priority bills for this legislative session. So can you just um, dig into that a little, let our listeners know what exactly the EPC is and quickly touch on a few of the priority bills that you're most excited about or, or that you, you see NRCM really focusing on? Sure, the Environmental Priorities Coalition has been around for well over a decade and every year our organizations uh, get together and identify the legislation that we think is most important for our collective efforts to try to enact in the upcoming legislative session. And last Friday, as you mentioned, uh, each of the legislative sponsors of eight or nine bills uh, spoke to their bills and why they're important. And there's some great ones. Land from Age Future is an important land conservation program. There's a, a proposal by Senator Kathy Breen to, to provide a, a, a significant bond uh, that would go out to the voters in the fall to, to um, reinvest in land conservation. We're strongly supportive of that. We were strongly supportive of a bill that almost made it through the last legislative session that would uh, provide a extended producer responsibility program for packaging. So. Uh, companies that make packaging uh, waste that ends up in landfills and municipalities are having to pay those costs and taxpayers are having to pay those costs. Uh, this law would, would require that the packaging manufacturers would help pay for our recy municipal recycling programs and laws like that are in place all over the world and it's time for the U.S. to start putting those laws in place here. And there's also a really important $20 million investment in weatherization and energy efficiency that would go to seniors and low-income residents and also go towards uh, municipalities and schools. And collectively, that investment would create about $35 million in lifetime energy savings and really help lower the costs for seniors and low-income residents and, and municipal buildings that are where the energy costs are too high. So there's lots to like in this Environmental Priorities Coalition um, common agenda this year, and we'll be working to pass all the bills that are on that and many, many more bills that, that matter to us. That's great. I'll also note that the weatherization bond is sponsored by Senator Pouliot, who's a Republican, and that just, I think, signals, you know, that, that climate energy 
are issues that are, are bipartisan issues. They're common issues that, um, you know, we saw the last legislature uh, um, address in a bipartisan way. And, and, you know, hopefully that'll continue this legislative session. Yeah, the reality is that most of Maine's environmental laws, our landmark environmental laws, were initiated by Republicans back in the 70s. And for most of the last 40 years, the environmental safety net that's been created in the state really has been through bipartisan efforts. And we will continue to work with um, lawmakers to push bipartisan solutions. It's critical. Um, these, you know, clean air, clean water, you know, these are not partisan issues. We all appreciate them. And, and it really doesn't matter um, what party you are. You, you want uh, to hand off to the next generation the same sort of Maine that we experience today. Um, well, one of the EPC's priority bills that I wanted to touch on um, really quickly is, is on tribal sovereignty. Maine and the tribes have had a more open conversation about tribal rights over the past year or so. Can, can you just um, let our listeners know where NRCM stands on, on this bill, on this issue? Sure, yeah, we support the tribal sovereignty bill when it comes to a public hearing this year. Uh, we'll be testifying in support of the bill. This is a really high priority for Maine tribes. NRCM has worked closely with representatives of the Penobscot Indian Nation, the Passamaquoddies, the Holton Band of the Micmacs. And we really look forward to continuing to collaborate to advance protections of resources that, that these tribes and their ancestors have depended on for more than 10,000 years. So uh, we, we think this will be a high priority for many lawmakers and, and we'll be working uh, to help pass through the, the legislature. That's great. Well, uh, so um, shifting gears, one of the issues that got a lot of attention over the past weeks is the highly controversial CMP corridor. Um, the Mainers who oppose the project, the grassroots folks, just delivered their signatures to get a referendum on the ballot. Um, and we also saw a significant court decision. So can you give uh, people a, just a quick update on these exciting developments about this, uh, about this uh, really as I said before, a controversial project. Right, so uh, the two most important developments in the last week uh, from our perspective, first, the federal appeals court uh, did grant a temporary injunction uh, to block central Maine power from starting construction in what's called segment one, the, the 53 miles of forest land where they would cut a corridor through a landscape that we think has, has uh, international significance and it would be a, a devastating slash through that landscape. This is a 25-day injunction. It's pretty rare to, uh, to get an injunction like this. It does give us time to submit our legal briefs with our partners in this effort, Appalachian Mountain Club and the Sierra Club, uh, to request that construction not start until we've been able to, to carry forward with our full appeal of, of uh, permits for this project. And then, as you mentioned, uh, the, organ the individuals who have been uh, gathering signatures for a new referendum did hand in about 100,000 signatures. That's far more than the 63,000 that are necessary uh, to get this measure on the ballot in November. So that's a pretty big deal. Uh, we think that if the last ballot measure had come to a vote in November, we were strongly of the view that the, the project would have been terminated. We think Maine people strongly continue to oppose this project. Uh, so the next step on this is the Secretary of State uh, will certify whether there's a whether indeed out of these hundred thousand there's at least sixty three thousand that are valid. Uh, then the measure will go to the legislature where there will be a hearing, and uh, the lawmakers can adopt the measure or send it to the voters. Uh, so the most likely path 
uh, is that it would head to the voters in November. Central Maine Power and Hydro-Quebec have spent more than $24 million uh, over the last year and a half to try to prevent the people of Maine from even voting. Um, and if they were to vote, to try to influence their vote on a referendum. And that's just an unbelievable amount of money in the context of referendums in the state of Maine. Uh, so we fully expect that CMP will attempt to try to prevent Mainers from even having a say on this project. But uh, these were two uh, important developments in the past week. I, I mean, one of the things to me that was is most striking about the federal government's review of the CMP corridor, which you know our court or lawsuit is related to, is just how closeted the and rushed the review was. Um, and just as an example, it's just striking to me that you, the Department of Energy sort of secretly um, issued their permit for the project without the public notice that they had promised Senator Collins. Uh, and that's just, you know, what that's just one example of so many of how this project and that has implications for other how other major development proposals are, you know, are considered in Maine. Yeah, I could point to about 100 things about this project, which <laughs> <clears throat> annoy and aggravate those who who believe that this was uh, this was the wrong project at the wrong place from the very beginning. And it's mm -hmm. just deeply unfortunate that Mainers have had to suffer through the this um, protracted process of trying to stop CMP and its parent companies and Hydro-Quebec from um, putting this line through a forested landscape where it doesn't belong. Right. Well, you talked about the wrong project at the wrong time. Let's talk about the right project in the right place. Um, something else that was uh, in the news recently was the announcement that a long-awaited ski area may be revived in the Moosehead region. Can you talk for a moment uh, why why that matters from NRCM's perspective? Yeah, so the Moosehead Lake region is really a gem. It's one of the most spectacular parts of the state of Maine. The state of Maine has spectacular parts everywhere, but the Moosehead Lake region, Moosehead Lake, is really extraordinary. And as folks from probably remember, Back in 2005, 2006, 2007, there was a huge controversial proposal from Plum Creek. Uh, Plum Creek no longer owns land in this state of Maine. They sold their land to Weyerhaeuser Corporation. But Plum Creek was proposing thousands of sprawling development units and several new resorts. And at the time, NRCM invested in a landscape architect and a, a planning process to figure out what is the best way to move forward with development in the Greenville, Rockwood, Moosehead Lake region that, that doesn't trash the place, that doesn't wreck it, that, that preserves the, the character of the, of the region. And that analysis that we did said that the, the, the place where the res, a resort should happen, where you should have investment, is at the ski area that exists there right now. And unfortunately, that ski area has been owned by uh, a, an individual who's not operated it well, is, who's refused investment funding in it. But what happened just in the last week is that there was a story that came out in the Bangor Daily News that there's a investor that uh, some investors who want to put 75 million into developing the Moosehead Lake Ski Resort, uh, investing right there in in a part of the that landscape that already is rezoned for development and this could turn into a, a terrific win-win in the area with, with um, creating jobs, 
creating a true four season resort, uh, improving the, the facilities at that ski area, building lodges and creating a, a, an economic, um, little economic engine in an area that really needs it without causing uh, wilderness sprawl and habitat fragmentation. So uh, we think this is a very positive development and it's, it's appropriate development, it's in the right place <clears throat> and it won't compete with the, the businesses uh, that already exist and are struggling to stay alive um, in some of these rim communities, uh, which is what the Plum Creek proposal would have done. It would have had new development, new resorts that would have pulled business activity away from, from the businesses that, that really we, we want to try to preserve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it's time to wrap up this, this episode's conversation. So Pete, um, what is coming up in the next two weeks that you're keenly focused on? Well, I'm focusing on the Maine State Legislature and how they're going to get uh, <laughs> do their business. So, um, as of as of today, about 239 bills have been printed out of the couple thousand that uh, we expect. So, every couple of days, some new bills are printed, and as those are printed, the different committees start scheduling public hearings, and and the public hearings this year are going to be totally unprecedented. They're all going to be through Zoom. Um, so the chairs of the committees are starting to figure out what the protocols are to, to manage uh, the public's interest in testifying at these hearings. So the real hearings, a couple have been scheduled for this week, but most of them are really going to get um, swinging into gear next week. And throughout the month of February, there could be dozens, hundreds of public hearings. They're all going to be through Zoom, you're gonna be able to watch them live on the legislative YouTube channel. And we do encourage people to, to um, look out for information on our website about how to participate in these public hearings. Uh, we're gonna be producing some videos uh, that help serve as a tutorial about how to get your point of view into the legislative process uh, in this unprecedented period where the pandemic is keeping us from doing what we normally do, which is hang out at the state house, talk to lawmakers, and have dozens of conversations in the course of an hour or two. And we just can't do that anymore. So what we've got to do now is follow these new rules of, of engaging with lawmakers who are, who are spread out all around the state. So that's what I'm going to be watching. It's going to be interesting. And I'm confident we're going to be able to pass some good bills this year. But I also think that the legislature is going to get somewhat bogged down and is going to push a bunch of these bills off to next year. Yeah, and I think this new approach is really going to reinforce the, the power of the voice of Maine people and the, the power that they have to make a difference in, in reaching out to and contacting their legislators. So absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and you know, we'll have, suffice to say, it sounds like we're going to have a lot to talk about um, over the next couple of months on this podcast. Um, but before before we end, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. We've gotten we've already gotten some great comments from people about this new format, so I appreciate that. And I want to invite people to reach out to me uh, if you have any ideas or feedback or topics you want us to cover. You can contact me uh, at Colin. That's with one L at nrcm.org. Um, so thanks again for listening, and, and until next time, uh, this is Colin and Pete signing off. All right. Thanks a lot, Colin. Yep. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. 
If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. Until next time, thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.